Hello, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast. This is the final show of our 12th season. We had on three guests to talk about trash and recycling. Our first guest was Wayne Jerdy, who works in sustainable materials management at the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency. Our other two guests are co-presidents of Eureka Recycling, Lynn Hoffman and Kate Davenport. A quick apology about the interview. Our recorder ran out of batteries about halfway through the Q&A session. So that ends a bit abrupt. Uh, We didn't catch the final five to ten minutes or so of questions. So apologies for that. But we have the rest of the interview available for your listening pleasure. I would like to thank our media sponsor this season, MinPost, which provides reader-supported news and analysis. You can find more information at www.minpost.com. Also, uh, yeah, that's our final show. That's our final show for the season. I hope you enjoyed listening, and we'll see you again later. Bye. Uh, so excited to have you all here. Um, I, I love this as a topic because I think that there's maybe a perception if folks first heard about this show that, uh, oh, tra- like what are they going to talk about for a whole uh, hour and a half or whatever. Uh, but I, I then was also joking downstairs, you know, I could literally probably just ask one question and you all could go on and on. So I'm going to try this. So just so like what what happens to my stuff when I put it on the curb and go? <laughs> <laughs> it depends where you are in the state of Minnesota. So uh, if you're in the metro, uh, if it's trash, it may go downtown Minneapolis. Uh, if it's in Ramsey, Washington. Uh, what, uh, what is that? There'll be plenty of time to boo us later. Um, there we so, go. But so Don't boo me. Because just Don't treat me like garbage. Good. <laughs> uh, I need that shirt. Yeah. Um, so just to be, it, when you're, and he's booing, this person is booing because if it goes to downtown Minneapolis, it goes to... The uh, waste energy facility. An incinerator. The incinerator. Yes. Okay, people are very engaged already. Good. Um, where else does we, it potentially go? Good. <laughs> you brought the hecklers? Yes, Usually. We did. Wow. Okay. There we go. <laughs> I don't. Why didn't you bring we some hecklers? wanted to come to us, not to the waste energy facility. Okay. So that's one. So the other, it could when it comes to you all, what does that mean? Uh, so you put all your recycling in that typically is a blue cart. Um, and that gets put in a truck and brought to us. And then we have like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory of conveyors and motors and lasers. I'm not kidding, lasers. And people. Um, and people and magnets um, who sort that out into all of the different types of material so that we can get that to a, a next level of recycler who helps turn it into new product. What, what does the laser do? Good question. Uh, <laughs> The laser All right, actually, moving on. Uh, wait, what? <laughs> the laser actually can can interpret the density of the material and then uses air jets to blow it in different directions depending on the density. Wow. Uh, okay, so uh, incinerator is one place. Uh, and then does any of it ever go to a landfill or anything like that in Minnesota? Yes, yes. there are yeah. landfills too. Uh, mm-hmm. Dakota County, Wright County. Yep. Uh, I may go across the border occasionally. Um, so, uh, depending on where you are in the state of Minnesota, there are landfills too. That's part of the system. And, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I think the biggest point is that it doesn't go away, no matter right. where it goes. So if it goes to the incinerator, it's, you know, it's being burned. You can't see it anymore, but that doesn't mean it doesn't end up in the air and the water in our land and our food. So it, there's, there's no, there's no black magic box where it disappears forever. 
Uh, and oh, oh sorry, I should pull away from the mic because I'm loud. Uh, but d- you all stay close because you are. They help us out. Yeah, that's them. good. Uh, so um, oh, so we didn't talk about food though, other than yeah. just mentioned. So what happens to uh, comp- composting? We just started composting in Minneapolis so, last year. So depending on the community that you live in, some communities have started. Um, putting the systems together so if you put out your food waste and um, it can go to a compost facility where it gets turned into a soil amendment that helps a revitalize soil a soil amendment? So- mm-hmm. What does that mean? Yeah, is that too wonky just, for no, you? No, that's great. This is a very wonky <laughs> show. I'm just imagining. <laughs> uh, so, uh, just so a soil amendment would be like a compost product, something that you add to your, to your soil to help grow things or help with soil erosion control. So the real value in composting is not just that you're avoiding sending it to the landfill and incinerator, but that you're making something from it that helps rebuild our soils, which have been pretty ripped of nutrients over the past 100 years. So we have a lot of opportunity in that area because 28% of the material that goes to the landfill is potentially compostable. So, which is a big portion. Yep. So, so what if it's in the landfill and it's compostable? What what it just it doesn't matter. It just is like no, it matters, no, it a, lot. matters a lot. Okay. Yes. Well, so what? How? Why does how, help us think through that? So it, it it does break down, but it's an anaerobic environment, meaning there's no oxygen or no air, right? So then it, it creates methane, and methane is a greenhouse gas that's way more potent than CO2 even. So it, it impacts climate change in a really big way. Hmm. Plus, it produces no economic activity. You put stuff in the landfill, nothing. You keep stuff out of the landfill, produces economic activities, creates jobs, goes to local factories or factories across the country. So and, and so this is, so we've done sort of uh, immediately after it's on the curb, uh, it could go to one of these places, but then that's, that's just sort of like step one right. in our hero's journey of the milk bottle. <laughs> uh, so, what so what so you all maybe then uh, separate these different things out then yeah. then what it comes to us in one giant pile like 300 tons About 300 tons a, a day, day comes to our facility it's cool yeah. to see you know your your small cart your small bin it really really adds up so about 300 tons a day in, in one pile and it leaves in up to 16 different categories of materials and those all go to different end so, markets to be made into different cereal products. boxes uh yeah. west rock on 94 by the yard furniture plastic furniture plastic lumber in painesville minnesota plastic lumber in bedford or worthington minnesota Woo! so uh there we got some weather worthington and and so you all would you all are literally like selling the raw materials right. then to those yep. folks yeah yep. yep we have a baler smushes it into big cubes and wrapped with wire look like hay bales but they're made of plastic or aluminum or steel cans and Mm -hmm. so one of the things that we at Eureka do that's fairly unique in the industry is when we sell that material we look at what price can we get get for it because we're honestly we're selling global commodities aluminum steel plastics Mm -hmm. they're all global commodities Um, so we're looking at what price can we get for it but we're also looking at where is it going so to Wayne's point We'd like it to stay here in Minnesota or at least in the region because that creates jobs that helps local economic development. It also decreases the amount of emissions related to shipping it all over the place. So there's 18,000 direct jobs in manufacturing that come from the stuff off your curb. So... Uh, which is well, a lot. So I, it's like one, two, and then what, what, are, the, what are the other ones? <laughs> we have more people that oh, work with not us. not just you? Yeah, like they're that. all sitting, not all of them are sitting over there. Yeah. But <laughs> so, and it also produces tax revenue. So on the recycling side, $650 million in tax revenue to for uh, federal, state, and local. 
So it is good for the economy, good for the environment. So if so. you think about it, if you send a ton of waste, quote unquote, to a landfill, you basically have one person that's picking it up, putting it in a yep. hole. If you send it to us, we've got close to 100 people that work at Eureka that are mm -hmm. part of that process, and then you send it to somebody else who they have people that are working for them, so there are a lot more jobs down the line and a lot more economic development opportunity. Yeah. I think to, to geek out even more, there's um, <laughs> the life cycle analysis, right? So the cost of throwing something away, there's a lot of hidden costs in terms of um, asthma rates, you know, around incinerators are some of the highest, the healthcare costs to communities and those pieces. And for every um, bag of trash that you put out at the curb or, or even recycling, is it 71 times that? So think of your small bag of trash. There were 71 bags of trash created upstream to, to make those products, to extract yeah. the material, to manufacture it, to package it, to ship it. So the impacts of just throwing that thing away are much bigger than that small thing going to the incinerator. So the economic and um, so reuse is a yeah yeah and so textiles. So at the state mm. fair last year we talked about textiles. We're talking about it again this year, and it's uh, it's it's uh, what we're asking people to do is reuse it if you can, buy good quality stuff if you can, and or not buy it all if you don't have to. So. So that's at the top if you're looking at it from an environmental standpoint. But but when you people will say, well geez, if I reuse stuff it's you know, it's it's not it's not good for the economy, I'll wreck the economy. Well that's not true because there's lots of stores that do that. There are uh, more and more uh, places that repair stuff. If you see the repair clinics around town, those uh, jobs, particularly out of the metro area, are providing uh, good wages for people. So um, it's a, it's a good thing. So you don't have to buy more to help the economy. I, what can't we recycle? Is there anything we can't recycle? Yes. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess an important piece is that over half of what's currently going to the landfill or incinerators is still recyclable, easy, easily recyclable, bottles and cans and paper. So there's a lot of work to do still um, in terms of getting that material out of the trash is the way that, but then there's, 25 percent well, about 900,000 tons 180 million pounds sure yeah and then of, so wait of, uh, of material 180 million pounds of material that we send to the landfill we could turn that into other stuff so uh, from 96 to 2013 we threw away 2.3 billion dollars worth of stuff that we could have recycled could have created jobs with but we threw it in the landfill where it, it creates absolutely nothing so so we, for example, um, worked for a long time with restaurants and businesses in Minneapolis. Actually, Bryant Lake Bowl was one of them, um, where we first. did one of the first, actually, um, where we helped them set up a composting and a zero waste program. Um, and when we looked at those restaurants, we had about 90 as of last year. Um, they were able to compost or recycle 90% of what they were purchasing. So 90% could be recycled or composted. So that meant that 10% of that, though, was still trash at the end of the day. So to Wayne's for point, if, for now. So if you could educate people and set up systems to get the recyclables and compost into a system where they can be recycled or composted, that's awesome. And then you can look at what's remaining, and then the question is, how do we redesign that 
Sure. So we either get rid of that waste in the first place, or we can get it to be recycled or compost. I do. I'm just trying to get. Some, what are some of the What are some of the culprits that we can't mm -hmm. recycle? Like, if there are things, maybe people are thinking, "Oh, I should avoid, avoid buying things that are packaged this way, or, or sure. use this, or something." I bet people could think of it. You know, it's often the thing around the thing that you want. Like, you just want the razor. You don't want the plastic clamshell that you use for ten plastic seconds. Plastic clamshells are not. Recycled? Well, you know, not clamshells, but like the Here's packaging, the crazy packaging. product packaging, or. Oh. A lot of the packaging that comes around your razor, for example, is PVC, yeah. which is really polyvinyl toxic. chloride, which is a very toxic material, um, and that's called, it's, um, this is probably a good piece for folks to know. If you look at the piece of your packaging, the triangle on the bottom that has the number in it does not mean that it's recyclable. Mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a system to label packaging that was created by the plastics industry in the 80s, and that number just tells you what type of plastic resin it is. It doesn't mean that it's actually recyclable. There, some numbers are recyclable. Some numbers some are, are, but some aren't. But like it's very, five, not probably. No, five is actually five recyclable. Is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah. It's, well, it's very confusing. It's very confusing. It's very it confusing. Is. But three, number three, which is polyvinyl chloride, and then number six, um, which is polystyrene or Black styrofoam. Plastic. Wait, Black, plastic. <laughs> Black plastic. Black mm -hmm. plastic. Let's not let's not make this a race game. Um, so uh, I don't. Uh, so why is black plastic a? Uh, uh, it's hard to tell what it's made out of. It's oh. hard to make it into other things beyond that because you can't read the resin. So the thing is with plastic, if only there were only seven kinds of plastic and it were that easy, but that's the kind of resin it starts with. And then they add um, color. color and dyes and, and uh, perfume multi -layer, and whatever. Multi-layer plastic. Yeah. So for example, I'm working with a local company to see if we can say you have a package that's polyethylene, which is milk jugs and other thing. And we use another plastic that's dissolvable for the inner layer, because on food you need that that oxygen barrier mm -hmm. in order so your food doesn't spoil. Well, once you put plastic together, it doesn't come apart. It's it's not recyclable. So, so the point is, there's hundreds of thousands of plastics out there, and you kind of need like kinds because you melt them down, and you either end up with burning goo or lumpy goo to try to make a new plastic thing, right? That, are those technical terms? Sure, they melt at different <laughs> temperatures. Very technical. Now you've got the insider. Uh, <laughs> so, you, what are there? What are the things folks send you that you can't use? Oh. Plastic bags. Plastic, Plastic bags. bags. Um, this is so interesting. Like, and so I, I know that maybe a little bit about this, but why can't what? Because you can recycle plastic. Yeah. Bags. You well, the thing is, you can recycle anything. You could recycle microphones if you had enough of them and a way to sort them. Sorry, Barb. To... We're taking these. <laughs> uh, They're actually <laughs> valuable. <laughs> uh, so plastic bag. Why can't why can't you all process? What happens? So uh, when a plastic bag comes into our system, um, think about it, plastic bags really light. Right, so it goes all over the place, and it actually ends up. It sounds like so much fun. Like you said, Willy Wonka. It's like the bubble room. Yeah, like... and then Willy Wonka wraps around our equipment, yes. <laughs> and it causes lots of problems. So, but I mean, so it literally actually wrap the because it's so light, it wraps around our equipment, shafts that hold screens and things like that. So, so we spend about two hours a day yeah. cutting plastic bags out of the system. So if you want to recycle a plastic bag, return it to your retail store. Or don't even get one in the first place. That's right. Get a reusable bag. Yeah. Um, uh, so that must be your and, that, and the other thing, too, about plastic, so this goes to what Lynn was talking about, right? We're not going to recycle our way out of the waste problem. So we could recycle plastic bags till we're blue in the face, 
but it's not going to displace the amount of petroleum that you need to make those plastic bags. So we really have to look at when are we using plastic bags and what's the reason to use them because recycling isn't going to so, solve the problem. So we have 280 million pounds of film. About half of that is plastic. Well, a little less than half is plastic. A film? Like film. Zapruder film or what kind well, of that's the, that's the industry term that's for plastic bags. That's an industry term. So, so your stress wrap, you put around pallets, your, your retail bags, your construction stuff that you put around, all that stuff, that's 280 million pounds that in our, and we recycle maybe 10 million to 20 million pounds. And what do we recycle it into? Actually, some of it we're working on ag plastic. We're recycling into not more bags again. But, you know, <laughs> it's got to go someplace. So. But the, a lot of plastic is something um, call, we call downcycling in the yeah. industry. So it gets made into maybe a plastic tchotchke of some sort. And then that, in turn, is not recyclable. So, you know, it's one, Things one stop before the landfill or the yeah. incinerator. But then it eventually goes there. But there are materials like aluminum or glass that are infinitely recyclable that have or, a much... Yeah. Yeah. So we should have uh, glass bags. Yes. Uh, yes. For our groceries. <laughs> we, um, we only recycle about 50% of our aluminum in the state. Wow. How Can I just, uh, I have a couple uh, sort of last questions. And I should say in the second half of the show, we'll open it up to all of you to ask all of your questions. And I hope that you have a bunch for our panel. But uh, just how does Minnesota do in terms of uh, recycling? Where do we sort of land in the among the states? We want to feel good about we something need so tonight. Many numbers in um, <laughs> there we go. We're great. So, so they used to do a national uh, recycling rate. Uh, I would say we're in the top five because it's every every state measures differently. But we're about forty-four percent, give or take, with our compost. Um, Material. And we have a, a re track record, especially in the Twin Cities, but, of being really innovative. But the recycling rate's been level for the last 10 years, pretty much. Oh, that's interesting. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but a lot of, so the way that success has traditionally been measured in recycling is by the ton. Yeah. Right? How many tons have you recycled? So I'm going to ask this to the audience. How many of you get a newspaper delivered to your house? Okay, so you're still newspaper readers. This is a theater of public <laughs> policy audience. I, that was, I set myself up for that. Yeah. But we've also seen newspaper drastically reduce, and newspaper what is a very heavy. Crime. Uh, sorry. So, so my point is, is that one of the things that we've been working on is just measuring our success by weight is a false indicator. So we've seen the weight of the average amount of material that comes in um, has actually decreased in weight per what Wayne was saying, because we have less heavy material in it, material in it, but it's increased by volume because we have a lot more plastic. So one of the things that the, the MPCA is doing and other folks, um, including Eureka, is looking at how do we measure the success of recycling beyond just how much by weight do we get rid of, but also the volume and the environmental but, and social impact but of what we're even, doing. Even by weight, film is up 6% uh, over since 2000. So it's those, those uh, little flimsy bags you, you get in the uh, grocery store that actually, from my standpoint, you have to use two. So I'm not sure you're using any less material unless you bring a regular bag, uh, a reusable bag. And uh, so we use a lot more plastic than we yeah. used to. Mm -hmm. um, the other material, a lot less newspaper, about the oh. same amount of cardboard, maybe a little bit more with all the... A little uh, bit more cardboard. A you know, little bit more cardboard with... Uh, 
some of the e-carvest stuff going on. Yeah, we've we've actually um, seen a significant increase in cardboard. So called uh, the Amazon effect. The wow. these the stream continues to evolve, <laughs> and so which makes it difficult for uh, firms like Eureka because you're if you're set up uh, to do this, and all of a sudden you don't have that stream anymore. You have to be constantly evolving in the way you sort things. And so. I think one of the things in terms of Minnesota has a you know. Wayne mentioned we've we've been on the cutting edge of reaching high recycling rates, and that's not that's because we've had state and county and local policy that's made that's incentivized recycling. Mm -hmm. So recycling is not just about all of us doing the right thing; it's about having the right systems in place to incentivize the right things. Um, so I have two, uh, I have two things I wanted to, t and hopefully we'll get to them in the second half. Uh, uh, but so I, I'll just end this half by asking then, what is the cutting edge of recycling, right? Like I think a lot of people think, oh, I've been putting my recycling out for 10, 20 years or whatever. So what's sort of the, the next thing? What is, what is it that you're looking at that's sort of coming up? I mean, for a lot of places, honestly, composting, I mean, it, in, if you live in Minneapolis, you've got it and it seems like a done deal, but there's a lot of places that don't have it right across the river been a long oh do you want to talk about recycling in st paul because i feel <laughs> like <really>. okay <laughs> <laughs> i do actually i really do you have to cross I mean, the river really, though yeah but there's you know there's no composting in st paul and that's the next step for that community for sure so there's a lot of um <laughs> smile i know i just so, we had no, mayor chris a, coleman on last week and he thanked oh, yeah. me for not asking him uh, specifically to explain the recycling situation on the it's, show. We're really proud of it. There's, it was a big transition in the city, but it's for um, a huge benefit for the city for sure. I, I think that... I think ahead. on composting, I, I've been doing this since 95. We are just at the beginning where we were 20 years ago with plastic and other recyclable materials. So we got a long ways to go, but there's a lot of opportunity. But for me, it's agricultural film. So there's if sure. you go, if you drive out in the country, I think everyone would agree agricultural you, film <laughs> no top of our list. Well, yeah. you may not be. In we the have city. a table set up in the back for agricultural film if you yeah. want to drop it off. But you may not. Uh, we have 25 million pounds of that, and uh, 18 pounds of cow. If you really want to get wonky about it, cow per cow. We have a map that's cows by county. We we actually know how. Why many are we wrapping the cows in agricultural well, film? You're right. We aren't. But anyway, a lot of people br uh, used to burn that, and we don't want that uh, because it, it, again, why would you want to burn plastic which goes on the hay, which your cows eat and makes milk out, and it pro provides dioxins. It's not a healthy thing. So we want to make sure that we that stuff gets in the right place. So, so provocative question. I lived in... You didn't uh, ask me. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, uh, I, <laughs> sorry. Okay. What is We're the, not one and the same. No, <laughs> sorry. What's the next... <laughs> <laughs> um, I would I would agree with what they're saying, but I I do think that not a, no I'm adding to agricultural film. I I think that um, really honestly we have a tremendous amount of plastic that we are confronted with as consumers, yeah. and um, a lot of it's small items and things like that. And I actually think the cutting edge is holding the people that we purchase from accountable for how they what kinds of packaging they're giving us. Mm -hmm. um, because at the end of the day, it's a design issue. That's and right. the people that we buy stuff from can design stuff to be recyclable. And that is part of the cutting edge. And we've actually seen some real successes. So Starbucks, K-Cup, all of those folks, are when they get consumer pressure about why can't I recycle that, they listen. 
Um, and I think that's really important. Oh, on that very powerful note where we've already got applause going, can we do a tremendous round of applause for our three amazing guests? Um, okay, if you have a question, uh, raise your hand, and I will, oh, right in the front. Two questions. Oh, you all work for them, right? <laughs> <laughs> not that guy. He doesn't. <laughs> not that guy. That guy doesn't. Uh -uh. And she doesn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, not me. Hi, um, so I work uh, for the Guthrie Theater, and I'm a freelancing theater artist, and I was just wondering, do you guys work with any theater companies? Because they're kind of notoriously wasteful, and I was just wondering... And not on purpose, but you know, just wondering if you guys are doing any work with them. Not this one. Uh, Brandon's actually, entirely we are. made out of recycled materials. So if uh, you come to the state fair, oh, yes. uh, Paul, Bunyan's Paul Bunyan's wigs came from the Guthrie yeah. Theater. Yeah. So, uh, so yes, we did reuse some of that stuff. So that's one. Anything else? I'm looking at one of my colleagues. <laughs> you would know, Miriam. You would know. What was the name of the group that we did some work with that was looking at? Talk to her, yes. and she can tell you about them. But yes, we've been connected somewhat because there's it's, a lot of waste. And yeah. Yeah. is there a is there a particular material that you're thinking well, about? They or? do a lot of um, a lot of styrofoam, like they mm. cut. And I know oh, they sure. try really hard to recycle the bulk of it, but it's mm. just so bad. And I look at those materials, and I'm like, you make beautiful theater, but why are you using? It? Yeah, it's just yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Okay, uh, I have a question. I do know this. Hi. Hi. Um, Hi, Dan. <laughs> hi. I teach kids about architecture and ecology. Mm. And so we talk about reuse of buildings and the demolition of buildings sometimes. Yeah. So what happened? We've been so concentrating on, you know, like household waste and right. curbside stuff. What happens to construction and demolition and waste? And can we talk about ADC for a second? ADC. What do you mean by ADC? Oh. Alternative daily cover. Yeah. <laughs> so let's start with the building piece. All right. Um, Wayne, I bet you have a sure, number about I, that. Sure, I can talk about um, So there, uh, Better Futures ha is a program that deconstructs buildings. Uh, one of the problems we see with deconstruction, meaning I want to tear down my house in Minneapolis or wherever it is, is the time period between the time that you want to tear down your house and build the house, there's not enough, generally not enough time. So there's, uh, there's a good place where we could have some, uh, as my phone rings, there we go. Uh, there we go. Is it someone important? Yeah, you can take must it. Be. Uh, it was from North so Carolina. It's the Guthrie Theater. Yes. Um, so uh, requirements to deconstruct. There are a great amount of companies that do uh, uh, take wood, wood floors, and that sort of thing, and and sell it out there. If you've been to Bauer Salvage, if you've been to the Restores, uh, wonderful places to go. Uh, in fact, I'm doing some stuff in my house right now where I'm looking for some cabinets to uh, well to construct a bar. So you I, know. I guess part of the question though is, I mean, those sound almost more like uh, maybe one-off, individual artisanal things as opposed to, like, is there a system in place for, you know, some of this building material and things? Um, no. Yeah, we, uh, de we definitely need public policy to help incentivize deconstruction as opposed to demolition, 
um, and help incentivize that system through Better Futures and other groups like that. You can see that it's possible, but we need further support. Yeah, the, the construction and demolition is a huge wasteful industry. Um, and your point about alternative daily cover, um, what is Al alternative daily cover? So alternative daily cover. Yeah, ask Dan. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love this because I get people from large construction and demolition waste handlers come into my class and talk about this. But alternative daily cover is basically all the fine stuff. After they, they demolish a building, they take out the metal that they can salvage, and they take out the concrete that they can salvage, and sometimes the wood that they can chip up and sometimes. turn into animal bedding and so forth. Right, exactly. And actually, with you know LEED and other kind of certification systems, we're seeing more and more of that. But they all that goes through a big screen, and all the little stuff that got thrown into the dumpster that can't quite be you know it's small enough that's not worth like sorting it out. All of that goes to the landfill anyway, and that's usually up to about 30 percent by weight of the total project, despite whatever they're, they're able to separate out. This is called alternative daily cover because it's the alternative to sand or some other light aggregate that they'd normally be mining from the ground, right? And they put it on the landfill to basically cover it up every day keep the to keep away. the plastic bags from blowing away and all that other mm -hmm. kind of stuff, right? They have to encapsulate every day, and so they put this stuff on mm -hmm. as alternative daily cover. And so it's, it's recognized as a you know, recycled commodity rather than a... Um, well, don't look at me. Rather than a landfill commodity. So. But there are other... Um, yeah, it's, not, it, it's, not, it's obviously not recycling. I think that's, that's clear. Um, <coughs> it's not being made into a new product, right? And they're... they're um, uh, the construction and demolition source is one source of alternative daily cover. Um, there are states where glass is considered alternative daily cover. Minnesota doesn't allow recyclable materials to be considered ADC. So glass being used, Tan's giving me the like this. No, no, no. Look. This is great. No, this well, is. Uh, and I, I, think I, it, I could do this all night. Alternative daily just, cover, glass. I think yeah. it just goes to. When we at our homes put something in the recycling bin, there is public policy behind that right. that helps dictate whether it actually gets turned into a new product or it gets counted as recycling because it goes on top of a landfill um, or something else. And so it's really important. Recycling doesn't stop when you put it in the bin. It really goes to where does that material go, what does it get churned into, and what is the impact of that? And that does have a link to public policy. So I have a I have a bunch of hands, and I'm going to come to the. But I since we're on public policy, I want to ask this question. I lived both Brandon and I both lived in South Korea for a while, where if you do not recycle all of your food scraps and things, you can be fined. Mm. Should the government come into your homes and tell people that they have to recycle <laughs> things by punishment of whatever they come up with. Why, I take the fifth of that one. Uh, there are other states that do that. Uh, Washington, or, uh, yeah, I think Washington, Washington does that, uh, where they fine you for not recycling. Uh, we are, uh, for the most part, a voluntary or giving the opportunity to recycle. Um, for the oh. most part, what are the what are the where are the thumb screws, Wayne? Well, there are there are uh, bands of materials from landfills, tires, appliances, computers, batteries, mm -hmm. 
So there are things that you cannot put in your landfill. Uh, I just want to make it a place for batteries. If you have C, D, AA, and A batteries, please do not put those in your recycling bin because mm -hmm. these people have to deal with it and it's not a pleasant thing. So, but if you have a rechargeable batteries, what? of course, bring, bring yeah. them into your, uh, you know, to be for collection. So I just had to so, make that So point. yeah, I think before yeah. you even ask the question of should we or should we not find the resident, mm -hmm. it's actually a question of should the cost of the materials and the environmental impact of the materials that we buy, yeah. should the manufacturers and the producers of sure. that be responsible for it? Yep. Because that's the real question. And so places like in parts of Canada or Europe have what's called extender producer responsibility, where what happens to that product after we purchase it is considered in terms of the regulatory framework. So it's not just about finding the person as to whether they recycle it or not. It's about designing the systems from, the, from upstream mm -hmm. to be easy for the for the resident or the consumer to recycle right. or compost that. So don't put the burden on the fully oh. on the resident. So, so paint and electronics are our manufacturer responsibility bills yeah. in Minnesota. We just about had carpet and batteries, but we didn't quite make it there. So Okay, I've got a whole batch of questions, so I'm going to go. Hello, everyone, um, and thank you for coming to be part of this panel. I really appreciate it. It's something that I take very personally. I come from a background of ecology and teaching youth in North Minneapolis uh, the value of conservation as well as recycling, which actually is, I think is a good segue to what you were just talking about. You were talking about the responsibility on the manufacturer versus the consumer. And I'm looking around and I'm seeing a relatively homogenous group of people. Right. And I honestly think that we need to develop an outreach because from my experience with working with high schoolers, recycling, composting is a relatively foreign idea, which I think is in part due to the privilege that we have that we don't need to worry about basic income and the cheap, pro, uh, like, you know, caloric sustenance that comes in not well-packaged goods. And I think there's maybe a blame placed on consumers who yes. don't understand these things. So how have your positions created an outreach or an education or a way to incorporate broader communities into this discussion? We'll go with you. Go, Len. <laughs> or okay. we can both yeah. I, yeah, I have a lot to say. You can... Yeah, I'll feed in. Did you have like two hours? Can we have a beer? <laughs> we don't. Yeah, oh, um. shoot. Um, but I agree. I think that, you know, in general, um, I think environmentalism on the whole has been a white privileged space for a long time. But I think what we know is that the people that are most impacted by the um, burdens of th you know, the negative impacts of waste and wasting are um, communities of color and low-income communities, we, and we know that statistically. The number one indicator for where an incinerator will be sited around the world is the color of the community and the income of the community. And those communities are often least represented at the table when solutions are being designed. So I think to Tane's question, I mean, we, we got all technical and weird about recycling and what's next, but honestly what's next is more active listening and more making sure that the people that are um, impacted and have um, agency around the, the solutions that we're creating are represented in that conversation and that the, the um, solutions that we're creating, the zero waste solutions we're creating serve the people that need it the most. 
So uh, the shirt I'm wearing is is Recycle More Minnesota, which is a campaign we we created in 2008. Unfortunately, we didn't have the money to uh, uh, continually fund that, but uh, we did. We put it, uh, this campaign in, in every movie theater in the state of Minnesota, and we saw the recycling rate go up 10%. And after we withdrew the campaign, the recycling rate went down to what it was before. So what that proves is no matter what you're doing, if it's, you're talking about reduction, not using the things in the first place, or what, whatever you're doing, it, you can't break the rules of advertising. You have to be, uh, you have to constantly talk about it. So that's why we have commercials and advertising probably even more now than we, than we did before if you look at the internet. So we have to find new ways to reach the every part of the uh, uh, um, population. Do we need to tweet more? Maybe. I don't know. But uh, we, we have to continue to get the message out and, and, and find new ways to do it with less money because it's not there. Did you have one? Uh, we, yeah, go ahead. I'll let you take some more questions. Okay, okay. I just want, Americans tend to think of themselves as special people. <laughs> is, there, is there anything in this field of inquiry that says Americans are different from other people? Do we, uh, do we produce different kinds of trash? Do we behave differently? Do. What, what's your take on that? A sad answer, I feel like. <laughs> uh, but everybody knows the answer already. Go ahead. <laughs> it's um, true. It's true. I think, in, I mean, the from my perspective, the bigger um, answer there is about regulation on corporations and the producers. I think America, in terms of, de uh, I don't know the, the appropriate way to say that, developed countries are... Right, um, <clears throat> we're one of the few that that have very little regulations on on companies and what they create and what the impacts of those creations are, and so um, again, you know, not I mean, probably I don't know the answer about about residents and consumers, but I certainly know from the public policy perspective that we hold corporations and producers much less responsible than most other places in the world. And I, I think this links to actually your question and the question before. I mean. You know, study. When I got into this 15 years ago, what brought me into this was that the United States equals 5% of the world's population, and we consume 25% of the world's resources. There's something out of whack there a little bit. So, um, you know, we haven't created the feedback mechanisms to bring that into balance. Um, and I think that's true for the United States and for Europe. There, there's some differences there. Um, but we continue to consume at a rate for our convenience that has significant impacts on communities of color both in the United States and outside of the United States that we need to start creating the regulatory mechanisms um, or the market incentives to bring that into check for sure. It's, it's, you know, I think we like to think that when we put that stuff in that bin in the back of our house or at the curb, we're absolving ourselves of our consumption you will not recycle your way out of the impacts of your consumption. Mm -hmm. We have to look at more systematic solutions to this. There's not, you, you know, when you recycle a piece of paper, it has maybe six or seven, maybe nine more lives. Sometimes in the industry, we like to say paper has nine lives. Um, or, you know, your plastic can only be recycled a certain amount of times. That doesn't one...
Thank you for listening. This entire season was supported by the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council and the Legacy Amendment. This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to see an upcoming show, you can find out more information by going to our website at www.t2p2.net. You can also find out about upcoming shows by finding us on social media, either on Facebook, Twitter, or signing up for our email list. We hope to see you sometime soon. Thanks.